Welcome to the Enneagram and Christianity podcast and the Crossroads Church and Ministries podcast. So glad you're with us. I'm Scott. And I'm Claire. And uh, we've been going through this great new series called The Enneagram and the Good News, Finding the Face of Jesus in All Nine Types. And today we're looking at Enneagram Ones. And we have two awesome guests. Yeah, our guest today, Sam Ogles, comes to us from uh, outside of our church. We, we zoomed him in. That was really cool. And also, Chloe um, Klingeman was with us. That was great to have Chloe. Chloe has been around the house for a long time. What a beautiful example of a one. So we're welcoming you today, and uh, feel free to send your questions in to the podcast. We're going to be doing a little follow-up because, of course, as you know, um, we teach the Enneagram with Harmony Triads, and we're just introducing these types and not talking much about Harmony, but Harmony is coming your way. So get ready for that, and let's enjoy this time together. Thank you. 
You guys, you're all going to get a little gift in the mail if you're on our mailing list of that song and that special guitar solo by Ryan Livingston. <laughs> What's that? Oh my gosh, Greg, were you dueling over there? Wow, see, Don was blocking you, but I'll get to see it on the film. Let's hear it for Greg, tearing it up. Greg Randy Meisner. <laughs> So it's really beautiful. Let's read this together from the scripture. Then God said, let us make make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping. That creeps upon the earth. See, you you guys know now you have authority over creeps. Come on, this is a brand new revelation. And so God created Created humankind in his image. In case you forgot, that's why we have it up on the wall all the time. You have been made in God's Mm -hmm. image. Mm -hmm. The word imago Dei, image of God. Now, a lot of people see themselves as being broken and flawed and awful, and that's who they are. But no. What is more true is you have been made in God's own image. Now, we may have lost the likeness along the way and on particular days and at particular times of the day, um, but we can be restored into the image that God has made us. Yeah, definitely. So there are those broken areas that we try to bring to God to get back to the image that we're created in. So we're talking about the Enneagram over these uh, actually 10 weeks. And today we're going to enter into the one. So Enneagram is just nine personality styles, nine types, uh, nine uh, nine ways of being in the world. And we all kind of have uh, the type that's in the driver's seat. So we just want to say today that if you're not a one, you still have one in you somewhere. All of us have every one of these types in us, you'll notice. But we just have one that's in the driver's seat. So it's good for us to pay attention not only to know how to relate to ones and encourage our one friends and give God thanks for that, but also to bring that one space alive in our own life. That's right, yeah. And so learning to grow in compassion and empathy with all of these nine styles. 
And so, you know, one of the reasons that we love the Enneagram is because it reminds us of 1 Corinthians 12. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And for the body consists not of one member, but of many. And should the foot say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body? That would not make it any less a part of the body. So wherever you are, just remember you are a part of the body. Can you just breathe that in for a minute? You are part of the body of Christ. And the truth is, we might sometimes think other people need to be reformed. I think that's usually how I think. Is, is that how you think? <laughs> yeah. So we love this little cartoon with the artist who has a horn on his nose. And every picture he paints has a horn in the center. Right? And so we can many times think that the way we see is the way it is. Right. But the truth is we all have a way of seeing and it depends on how big your nose is. Yeah. Right? Only kidding. Anyway, I can say that because I'm Italian. Um, so Mar uh, Mark Twain said, nothing so needs reforming as other people's habits. <laughs> have you ever thought about that? Like if those people would just quit doing that, I would be happy. I would be better. I would, I would be, be better, good. Right? Yes. I would be a better Christian if everybody That's else right. behaved. It's their fault. Exactly. Those lousy habits of theirs. Yeah. Yes. So Romans, Romans 12. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word mind there is a Greek word, noose. It means heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is actually what Jesus is referring to when Jesus says to love God with all your mind, your heart, your strength, and your soul, and love yourself that way, and love others as you love yourself, right? So it's connected to what Jesus said there. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Yeah, so we're just wondering how you're doing with transformation um, on this day, and mm -hmm. what are the tools that you put um, on your shelf to help you to recover the likeness. You are made in God's image and along the way we've lost the likeness. And we always say transformation requires attention and intention, which is why spiritual practices matter. So we can, can we just go ahead and give a high five to somebody and say, because you practice the first day of the week, coming to yes. church, this is a good spiritual practice. practice. Do you know yes. that? This is a yes. practice. Yeah. And that practice can make permanent in your life yes. and openness to God. We need practices. Yeah, so we know this in every area of our life, whether it's our career, whether we play, we're an athlete, whether it's schooling, we practice to make things permanent in our life. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so this is why we've made the Enneagram and Christianity podcast free. That helps people. This is why all three of our books, all of the proceeds sold on Sunday morning uh, around the tool of the Enneagram, all the proceeds are going to missions. Um, Scott and I have spent, we figured it out, uh, it's been since about 2003, studying this work and then writing books on it to create a curriculum for our church. And it has gone way beyond our church mm -hmm. to thousands of people, but we want to say this, we did it for you mm -hmm. and me. 
because and me. we and especially and him. especially me i know you were trying to be kind right? uh, we we spent time developing this curriculum because we really felt like god you know what we all read the same bible and and there are some christians that are meaner than when they first got started right Right. Or they're more cantankerous or they're, you know, or they're just not transforming. And so what could we do to help? Um, because not, not all of us are created the same, as we well know. Yeah. So we've got a page on the website. You can check that out. And if you don't know your Enneagram style, you can go to this page, WEPSS.com. One of our favorite stories in our staff meeting this week was... Um, Stacy was sitting behind someone who pulled out their phone and said, look, I took the test and here's what, here's what I am. And the person sitting next to them went, uh-huh, <laughs> you know? And so sometimes yes. we're not aware of our own stuff, but the people sitting next to us are uh, aware. Yeah. So that's a great inventory to take. Second Peter, uh, chapter one, three and four says this. Given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you and I might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Wow. So go ahead, just say it. I'm a partaker. I'm a partaker. Of the divine nature. Of the divine nature. Yeah, and that other stuff I don't want to partake in, yes. right? Yes. The Enneagram is a tool for transformation, spiritual formation, discipleship, relationships, and friends, let's say it this way, sharing the, the good, good news. news. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of people right now that are watching the, the people that call themselves the people of God. And they're saying, do they actually look like this Jesus that they're talking about? Um, I don't know if you ever heard what Gandhi said. He said, I, I love your Jesus, but I'm not that crazy about the people who say they're following Jesus. So our work on this earth is to be transformed into the image of God. So there's yeah. good news for ones, everybody. And the good news is Jesus, Jesus is, good. is good. Can you say Jesus is good? That's, that is good news. Hallelujah. That is good news. Yeah. All right. So here we are in Luke 18. Would you stand together for the reading of God's word? As we let's, told you, as we told you, as you're standing, we are um, taking uh, Jesus' life in the Gospels through these 10 weeks, and each week with each type, we're just going to identify at least, well, one time that Jesus shows up. Of course, he shows up perfectly as every type and so much more, but one time that Jesus shows up as that type. So Jesus as a one. Here we go. A good person. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. People were also bringing babies to Jesus so that he would place his hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. 
But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. Let's pray. No one is good except God alone. Let these words offer us life today. Let the way we listen to scripture transform us. Let it renew our minds. Our mind, our affections, and our actions. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You can be seated. So one of the things we love about Luke chapter 18 is the way that this person comes and says, good teacher. And you think, well, why did he just call Jesus a good teacher? And, well, it's because before he was called a good teacher, Jesus was talking about some things that really showed his goodness. Um, Think about just the picture you're looking at. You know, so Jesus is hanging out with kids and saying, I want the kids to come. Let the kids come up. Uh, You know, in, in that culture and in many cultures in the world, children should be seen and not heard. Right? You may have heard that when you were a kid. Children should be seen and not heard. And yet Jesus, he is rocking the boat again, Mm -hmm. rocking the systems of this world as a good person. And this guy sees it. Like, Mm -hmm. why is Jesus bringing kids up during the talk? Right? Shouldn't he just be by himself up there? Isn't that what the rabbis do? They don't let kids come up. No, Jesus is saying, this is goodness. Why do you call me good? He said, only God is good. No one is good except God alone. This is Jesus himself saying, only God is good. And yet there are people that are trying to be good. One time Scott and I, we were at a particular um, church and we saw a man crawling up on his knees to church. Crawling, And it looked like he had been crawling for miles because he had blood running from these knees going up the church steps. And he had people walking with him. Somehow this man had some kind of shame that he felt like he had to walk on his knees to get forgiveness. And God, in this person of Jesus Christ, tells this beautiful story of the tax collector who said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Mm -hmm. And Jesus saying, who do you think God thought was good? The person who said, I fast twice a week. I do all these important things. I give it 10% of all I have. Or the guy who's beating his breast saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I think there's something about this teacher that is so good 
that they've never seen before. That Jesus is saying, you know, Pharisees who think they're better than other people, you know, we, we have a friend who is working on their own spiritual transformation, and she's a one. And she always used to say, those stupid people. <laughs> I mean, it was, that, was a regular, that was a regular phrase of hers, those stupid people, those stupid people. Like, I think all the world was stupid, you know, but it was because her own inner critic yes. was saying to her, you're stupid, right? We only, we only project out what's already here, mm-hmm. right? And so when we say that only God is good and Jesus is saying, why do you call me good? So I want to ask you today, why do you call Jesus good? And then come home to that and say, wow. I mean, Jesus gave this whole talk, and he was basically saying, I love it when people are humble. I love little, snotty-nosed, dirty people, right? I, I, I am, my arms are open, and the truth is, I'm calling you good. I'm welcoming you and saying you're good because I'm good. This is our God. Yes. The scripture goes on and gives us more detail about um, this rich ruler that we're talking about. Am I here? Mm -hmm. Okay. So some of us know that this ruler is referred to as the rich young ruler. And here's what it goes on to say. And consider that the rich young ruler possibly could have been a type one. We don't know that, obviously. Because he wanted to know, you know. And he called, he saw the teacher and said good teacher. Right. So he was looking for his own inner goodness. Right. And he's about to give us more information about how he's keeping the good things. You know, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, the rich young ruler said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to Jesus, we have left all that we have to follow you. And we can, we can hold off on it right there. I think that's enough for us. So what's happening here is the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He's watching, as Claire said, everything that's going on. And he comes to this place where he wants to know, how can I have eternal life? And essentially, in all of his goodness, because Jesus kind of gives a laundry list of things that should be followed through. So Jesus doesn't ever say you shouldn't live into the commandments. At one point, the scripture says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. So Jesus doesn't forfeit the truth. And he starts to go through the Ten Commandments, essentially, and a couple of other things. And the young guy that's rich says, I've got all of that down pat. Now, Jesus knows what we all kind of know, but sometimes don't want to admit, is we can't be good enough. Just look at the person near you and say, you cannot be good enough, right? 
Go ahead, say it out loud to him. You cannot be good enough. Outside of, outside of a relationship with Christ. So what Jesus does here is he takes him through all of his goodness, and then he comes to this place where he says, there's only one way for you to be good enough. And that is to have a relationship with me. Now, you need kind of a 30,000-foot view of this. I remember one time uh, I was trying to become a professional baseball player. It was like one of the things I just so desi- I had devoted my life, a good chunk of my life when I was a kid, to trying to be a professional athlete. I thought, what a great way to live in adulthood, right? And about 18 years old, I met this girl, Claire. Actually, I was 17 then. She was 18. Anyway, um, I met this girl, Claire... <laughs> And it kind of changed my life, but I had a tryout. It was what was called a preferred tryout to uh, possibly play professional baseball. And I blew it off because at that point I was gravitating toward Claire. Eventually we gave our lives to, to Christ and I was reformatting what I was living for. It was being reformatted. I was very devoted until things started to change in my life. Anyway, um, a, about a year and a half after Claire and I were married... I had walked away from the preferred tryout, didn't show up. About a year and a half after we were married, we were talking about it, and Claire said, well, why don't don't you go back, because we weren't making any money, why don't you go back and see if that baseball thing actually works again? So I remember being at practice one day, and I was playing a pretty high level uh, of baseball in the Detroit area, and a Philly scout came up to me. And he said, Scott, um, he introduced himself, he said, Scott, you need to know that you are not going to become a professional baseball player. He said, I think that's why you're playing again. And he said, because you have proven that you will not die for baseball. And there's a lot of people that will die for baseball. In other words, I was kind of devoted to baseball, or I I was an admirer of baseball, but I wasn't devoted to baseball anymore. And I knew when he said it, he was so right. And that's essentially what Jesus is doing right here. He takes the things in our life, for the rich young ruler, it's his money. For you, it might be money. And Jesus puts his finger on those areas of our life and and so that we would realize we can't be good enough. There are areas in all of our lives. Is it money that keeps you from the kingdom? You have a lot of money and you're not generous with the poor. Or is it your relational world that Jesus puts his finger on? Or is it your serving or your time devoted to Christ? See, what Jesus is getting at here, whether it's our career, whether it's our future, whatever it might be, what Jesus is getting at, is we can only be good enough in him and then there will always be these places in our life where he's trying to bring more goodness into our life and he's so gracious about challenging us this way. Whether it's out in the open or not, there is no third category. We're either a devoted follower, Jesus is saying here, or you're simply an admirer. And admirers live a lot different than those that are devoted. Jesus wants us all to choose. That's what he's saying. So this guy chooses what's safe, but the scripture says he chooses what's sad. So that's the invitation. Jesus asks us all to choose God's goodness and living into how God can always bring more goodness into our life. 
Yeah, and, and good people, what you might know about Enneagram Ones, the good person, they're a part of this whole gut intelligence. We've gone through eight, nine, and one over the last three weeks. Can everybody say gut? Gut. These people have GQ in the driver's seat. They have gut intelligence, right? And these are the people that they react instinctively. They know in their gut or their bones whether they like something or someone. Is that true, eight, nines, and ones? Trusting their gut more than anything else makes it easy to jump in or act out or pull out without giving it a second thought. And in the heat of things, they might dismiss their head and their heart and just go with their gut instincts. Is that true, head, uh, the, the gut people? Is that true? Mm-hmm. And all yes. our, our gut ones? All right, so these good types... These good ones actually show us the goodness of God. And when they're centered, living in the truth of God's goodness, they get off their own back. They don't live by shoulds and oughts. They start to live from the center of the place where Christ in them dwells. And they start to say, I can let go of my own good way, which means everybody else has a bad way. And I can live from the goodness of God. So right from the congregation in the back, standing up, our friend Sylvia is going to read the description of ones. Can everybody welcome Sylvia, wonderful one? I am very conscientious and want to be a good person. I want to be grounded, ethical, ordered, and work for the good of those around me. At my best, I can be very insightful and discerning. I have high standards. I can spot when something is wrong and will work hard to make it better. I enjoy seeing something done right and will put my own needs aside to get the job done in the best possible way. I am committed to making things better. I have a hard time when people don't have the same standard for their work. When people expect a handout or irresponsible, I get resentful. I have a strong inner critic who is quick to voice shoulds and oughts. This makes it hard for me to be vulnerable and admit that I am angry or that I've made a mistake. After all, anger and mistakes aren't good. Some people say I can be controlling, rigid, and perfectionistic. I take myself very seriously. Fairness and correctness are at the top of my list. If it's not right, I will reform it, clean it, restructure it, and do whatever it takes to make it better. And all the ones said amen, right? (laughs) Or all the ones that are married to ones say, oh yeah, it's true that they will reform it, clean it, make it better. Uh, We're so glad that Sylvia is a one and is on our staff and works with all of our human resources and keeps us on the straight and narrow. She really, really crosses our T's and dots our I's. You want to thank God for Sylvia? And um, this is our friend, Sam Ogles. Everybody say hey to Sam. Hey, Sam. Sam's a one. (laughs) And uh, Sam um, is one of our alumni that has gone through our certification process here at Crossroads. And he's a spiritual director. We'll give you some of his info in the show notes. He has a podcast. He is... um, Actually, when I met you, Sam... You were still um, uh, an editor for Christianity Today. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Do you love editing things? 
I do. <laughs> it's a pretty natural fit for one. Uh-huh. And so can you tell us a little bit about what it's like for you on, you know, as a one on your best day? How do you show up? On my best day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. So on my best day, I am really in touch with a sense of lightness, um, that things aren't so heavy for me that I'm able to be spontaneous and in the moment. Um, so going through your certification, um, Claire and Scott, you had us sort of come up with a mantra for that. And so my mantra for me in my best moments is an authenticity plus a lightness equals true goodness for me. So authenticity, um, I'm really in touch with that. Lightness. True goodness. True goodness. Beautiful. That's right. Yeah. So, um, so on, on my best day, I have a sense of presence. Um, I'm able to actually be fully there and in the moment, um, not so much worrying about sifting everything through my filters of right or wrong. Um, is this person justified or not? Does this person need to start doing something else? Um, I'm just able to sort of be there and uh, in the moment and listening and, and present. Um, it's almost a, a conscious awareness of detaching from my normal mode of judging mm. everything. Um, and it feels really freeing. I mean, liberation is the right word for me in that experience. Um, and I laugh a lot. I'm able to be, um, lighthearted, um, open and I'm like looking for joy. That's how I would say I'm able to look for joy, which is so not my normal MO when I'm really stuck in my, in my patterns. Um, let's see. So I naturally respond with compassion, um, when I'm having my best day. And again, it's like the, the flip, opposite of my normal mode of um, always seeing the ways in which someone is um, responsible for their own troubles, right? <laughs> That's kind of the thing I can fall into as a trap. And so um, instead of that, it's a compassion. I think it's a compassion that's um, for me feels deeper because I know what it's like to always be trying to play the judge. And, and it's so freeing for me to kind of be in that space and to hold that for other people. Um, I think I sense the importance of that. Yeah, um, and, and one of the things, Sam, you know that one's got a really heavy-duty inner critic. How do you help keep that inner critic, like, down, boy, down? How's that work? Because yeah. a lot of times people will say, you know, one's, I feel like they're always cleaning something, reforming something, and, and they might take that as judgment, right? But mm. the inner critic in you is much louder than the one we're hearing out here. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, I mean, it's a constant, um, I compare it to like a car radio that you can just never shut off. Um, you can tone, you can tune it down, um, and, and somehow sort of learn to exist without it, but it's really constant. It's really loud. Um, and it feels like God, I mean, when I was a kid, I thought that it was like God's voice to me. My inner critic was God's voice. So learning to separate that has been really important for me. Um, but some one thing that I did in conjunction with uh, the advice of my therapist was I got a, um, a like a totem, a physical thing. So I went to Target. I loved horses as a kid. And so I went to Target. And I found a toy horse that looked really cute and kind of childlike. And um, I called it Little Sammy to represent my sort of childlike self. And so I have it next to my bed still now. And I will walk by it, and it's, it's a stand-in for my inner critic. 
And it allows me to go, they're there, little Sammy. It's okay, because my inner critic is trying so hard to help me. Um, and I have to right-size it and say, you have, a, you have a high chair at the table, but you don't get to be sort of the chairman of the board. Yes. Oh, good. So, so good. Nice, nice. So um, let me just say that originally Sam is from Coldwater, and there are some people who know him right here. You guys know Sam, right? Okay, look. Let's see if you can pull that off, Claire. Do you see Valencia? Oh, Valencia. Hey. That's, that's the Coldwater constituency, Sam. Thank you. And Chloe, would you come up and join uh, Sam and um, just for a minute? And so everybody, welcome Chloe Klingeman. Chloe. So, Chloe, what's really cool is that you, um, you just, your girls just like went somewhere. Do you have a, do you have a microphone here? There you go. Um, Your, your girls just cheered in a game yesterday and what happened and we won did you win <laughs> half of the team is sitting right back there and my cheerleaders so you know we we uh we love um all of our people our cold water people our marshall people and uh and but those marshall football players we just want to say congratulations yes. to you on yesterday's <laughs> win great job so, so Chloe, um, you're a mom. Mm-hmm. Yep. Tell us a little bit what, about what it's like to be a, a mom who's a one. It's hard. <laughs> uh, I struggle every day. I, but I'm working on being a, a good one in the sense of giving myself grace and my kids grace. I have a four-year-old, a two-and-a-half-year-old, and a one-year-old. So I'm busy, and our house is messy, and it's chaotic mm. all the time. <laughs> um, but it's awesome. It's so full of love, too. So for me, I've always been a tidy person. Everything has a place. Everything has an order. It all has to be this way, that way. And so with kids, I've had to rethink all of that um, because they don't think like that. Uh, I think my oldest is starting to pick up on some of those things for me, um, which is okay. I'm okay with them learning order and things like that. But I'd want them to know that there's grace, too, and that... Um, their picture they're making me doesn't have to be perfect. If they spill something on the floor, it's okay. We can clean it up, things like that. So, Yeah, and, and really, um, so I think all moms have those challenges, but I, and some of us who are a lot messier than you didn't have <laughs> yes. that challenge. It's just like, oh, it's just adding to my mess, yeah. <laughs> right? So what, when you feel like your best self, what, what's happening, Chloe? Uh, in fact, you guys have to know this. Chloe called me after the first Enneagram number we did, the eights, and she said, hey, if you want me to talk about being a one, I would love to do that. And so let's just shout out for people who are brave. And, but I couldn't find a one man who was willing to talk, so I had to bring Sam in. Sam Ogles. He's, you know, you got to fly him in. So, um, so tell me, what, what do you love about being a one that you would want to be up here for people to know and understand the ones in their lives? Well, I think right now, just because it's so prevalent in my life, being a cheer coach, it's 
being a one has helped us become really successful as a team um, because I do, I'm always pushing myself and pushing my assistant, who's my sister, um, and my team to be the best we can be. We work hard. The girls work so, so, so hard because I expect the absolute best out of them, and they are complimented daily. I get texts, emails. Um, people come up to me and tell me how good they are, and I think that I think that comes from my inner critic of wanting them to be the best because I want to be the best, so... Yeah, and so you're empowering them to be good. Yes. Right? Because you have such a lovely spirit. You know, it doesn't feel judgy or anything like that. You, you have such a loving spirit. Because if you look up at the faces of ones that, you know, people that may be ones, um, you can see everybody from Osama bin Laden mm-hmm. to Nelson Mandela. And, um, and so we see very different energy. I mean, Harriet Tubman, go see the movie. I, I was just watching a documentary last night on her. And she was a social reformer. Like, she wanted to do good. She wanted to bring people. She was free, but it wasn't good enough for her to be free. She wanted to bring people to freedom and freed herself in the Underground Railroad over 300 people, friends, putting her life on the line over and over and over again. So, you know, there's people who think, like Osama bin Laden, like, you know, kill the infidels because we need goodness in the world. But then there are people like you, who say, I want to empower young women Mm -hmm. to be good and to feel good about themselves. Mm -hmm. And so we could see, like, on our very best day, we can go there, and on the very worst day, don't give us the keys to the airplane. (laughs) That was funny, you guys. (laughs) Actually, it's not funny. But, you know, there's that reality that um, when, when that addiction to goodness becomes too much... It moves into the false self realm. So what do you want? Your husband's a seven. What do you want people to know about ones and how to be in relationship with them? Well, so my husband's a seven, but so is my sister. And those are the two people I spend the most time with outside of my kids. So I think I'm drawn to that. Sevens they, are the joyful yes, people. They help adventurers. ground me. <laughs> they, they mess um, your life up too, I bet. Yes. <laughs> um, my sister and I actually got into it earlier this week because she took what I was saying as me judging her and it was coming from a good place in my heart but we were able to have that talk and it was funny because I read my Enneagram email daily and my email almost the next day said something about trying to step back and see how giving some giving someone information might come off as judgmental or or as criticism and so I sent it to her and we just laughed. I mean it was funny but that's that's me, and that's what I'm working on, but it's, I also want to stay true to who I am, just figure out how to use it for the goodness of God and be me. So, yeah. Oh, my gosh. If I was as smart as you in my 20s, I would be a totally <laughs> awesome person right now. Let's thank Chloe for coming. Yeah. Up and- And thanks to Sam, too, for coming in from our uh, neighboring state in Illinois. Yeah, Sam. And, you know, so, friends, here, here's the reality. We all have work to do. Would you say you have work to do? Yes. There, there's a song about that. I got work to do, right? We've mm-hmm. all got work to do because we have these true self patterns that are in the image and likeness of God. And we also have false self patterns that show up. If we're not aware, the true self, they show us God is good. They're self-disciplined, hardworking, organized, wise, discerning, realistic, 
noble, morally heroic, and they embody God's goodness. They're wonderful personality styles of reforming and quality control. Sylvia, thank God for yes, you. Yes. All these 29 years of the church. And you, you want to know something interesting. I, um, I thought I was going to have Lisa Theodorovich up here too. But you know where Lisa is right now? She, yeah, she's in the nursery with the kids. She's like, you know, Sarah's sick. I'm going to take over. I'm going to make sure everything's going all right up there. Let's hear it for ones who take care of business, right? And, and so they have this idea of let there be light, and the light is good, and they separate light from darkness, and they give us the goodness. But in the false self, in the when false they self. get addicted to good, it goes bad. In the old man, the old person, they can be rigid and inflexible. Controlling, self-righteous, overly serious, hypocritical of themselves and others, or hypercritical, I'm sorry, perfectionists, us, them, you're in and they're out, Pharisee mentality, noonday demon, or kind of the, the place where sin ultimately seems to land is anger. A great picture of this in scripture is the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. So his brother comes home, the father's throwing a party, and the older brother can't be okay with the fact that there needs to be grace applied. Yes, wrongness has happened, but he can't get out of his stuckness in his, he has done wrong, and he doesn't go into the party, doesn't honor his father, and doesn't celebrate. It's powerful, unhealthy one picture in scripture. Yeah. Yeah, and the beautiful thing is, is what we realize is that we can do our own good work. And if we have people in our lives that realize that their perfectionism is about improving things and give them room to help you improve things, right, sister, right? Like if she, sometimes she can have room to help you improve things and recognize what they're trying to to reform you is done to help you. Mm-hmm. And so if you could just say to them, you know, it's not helping right now, right? That's not helping. Like you guys did. That is such healthy relationship. Yeah, I, I wonder if Abby that. wanted a rebuttal on that story. <laughs> <laughs> She'll have her, ta- her day. <laughs> so what we want to say is there are ways to love the ones. And, and we have um, written those things in our books giving you ways to learn how to love the people in your life that you might think, why are they trying to reform me, mm-hmm. right? Are they judging me right now? And what we always say to our ones is stop shooting on yourself. S-H-O-U-L-D-I-N-G. And stop shooting on others. And stop, yeah, <laughs> right? And so if, if we should too much on ourselves, we'll start shooting on other people. It just makes a mess, doesn't right? it? It's it makes just a mess. big mess. It's just a big mess. Are you guys with us? You know what we're talking about, right? <laughs> Shoulds and oughts can just um, bully our beloved ones. They can bully them. And on the inside, they're feeling like, I am not good enough. And they try harder. They try harder. But if we can actually have the kind of healthy conversations that these sisters did, yes. um, you know, the healthy kind of conversations, you know, Sylvia is not going to stand up and read that thing. If she's not in really right. good relationship with her friends and family that can hold her capable of becoming the best human being she can be. Like, that's who we need, not people who will then dog us and say, you know, I'm sick of your perfectionistic, right? No, say, hey, I felt like you were trying to reform me there. I know you're trying to help, and could we try another way? Or, 
help me to let go of feeling judged. Yeah. See, there are ways that we can learn to love one another so that we love God, love each other. We love our neighbors as ourselves. Let's stand together. We always want to remind you of Richard Rohr telling us, if you do not transform your wounds, you will transmit them. If we do the good work in our own soul, trust me, you can have relationships that thrive. Many times we're trying to change everybody out here, but if we do the, our own internal work, we're going to find that our lives are becoming all that God intended them to be. So can we pray together? Lord Jesus, it has to be really hard to be a person who carries about this wonderful, orderly interiority, to know when it's enough and when it might go beyond enough. And so we just speak life over our friends that are ones and ask God that you would give them the grace they need to return to the goodness of God because no one is good but God. Can you just breathe that in? No one is good. No one is good. And breathe out but God. A wonderful breath prayer for our ones and for all of us. And God, may you give those who love ones the grace to walk alongside them, like Abby and Derek. Yes. The way that they're able to have conversation around these things. We pray that we would have the freedom like Sam has to say, okay, I'm going to put that little thing on my night table and let it say, you're not the chairman of the board. You can say something, but you're not saying everything. We pray, God, that we would become people who can walk with our beloved one friends in a way that gives them life. Well, that was great. I mean, Sam and Chloe, what an excellent example of ones on a transforming journey who are letting other people in their lives and learning uh, how to live in their own style um, with health and wholeness. Yeah, it's so good to hear people that uh, understand their home space and are aware of their relationship with Christ. And how about that story of the rich young ruler? That was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that no one is good but God. And so even the examples all leading up to Jesus as the good person actually gave you a way to say, really, the guy beating his breast and saying, have mercy on me, a sinner, and the guy who was um, saying, I'm glad I'm not like him. There is none good but God. Only God is good. And the God in you, God, uh, giving us the Holy Spirit, we can live in the goodness of God. So glad you enjoyed us. Next week, we're going to be looking at... We're going to be looking at the two, and we're looking forward to the conversations to come. Glad you're with us. We'll see you next time.